You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy Well Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri joining you today solo because Zeba is out and about with her children. As you all know, her eldest is graduating from high school this year. So right before that end of the year period, there's that snowball where there's a thousand things to do. Get ready for graduation plus wait for your college match. So um, she's not going to be here, but I'm excited to be talking to you guys today with this, you know, Ramadan spiritual month that we're doing. And we're hoping to, you know, this year be a little bit better about maintaining our Ramadan momentum. And to that end, we've invited all these wonderful guests and we hope that you take a re-listen during this month to these podcasts because we certainly think that everything that they're teaching us is part of our Abada and we hope to continue, you know, following the advice that they're giving us every single week. So, Apart from fasting, we're really trying to forge a deeper connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the point of fasting um, and being Muslim. But it can be tricky because this month is so busy. You know, we're running. There's, For some people, food is like a really big deal. For some people, tarawiyah and like going to qiyam at the masjid is a big deal. So, um, you know, it's really easy to get hangry. And, you know, that's not allowed. We know anger is haram regularly. So in Ramadan, like even more so. Um, that's why we wanted um, Sister Hossein Majeddidi, Ustada Majeddidi, to come in today and um, center, help us center this Ramadan. <laughs> She's been serving the Muslim community for over 20 years as a public speaker, teacher, writer, spiritual counselor, mental, mental health advocate, uh, mentor, and mental health advocate. Her ongoing work in spiritual and mental well-being especially comes to us through her numerous online articles, her workshops, her halaqas, and she uplifted us so much, alhamdulillah, so much in fact that early when this podcast started and we asked our audience who they wanted to talk to, the first name we got was Hussein Majedidi. And for years we were like, oh, how do we contact her? And so it took a while to cyberstalk, as you know I do that. Um, but alhamdulillah, we ended up meeting her on Clubhouse and we're like, we need you to come on our podcast one day. And she did not say no. So listeners who wanted her, you're going to be super happy today. We felt the peace in her voice coming through from Clubhouse. We've felt it on her halakas and webinars that we've attended. And so naturally, we invited her to get some insight on how we can get the best spiritual upliftment during Ramadan and continue it forward after the holy month is over. So to that end, welcome Sister Hussein. Jazakumullah khair. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. You are well. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We're always well when we have amazing guests like you on. Um, we like to kick off the podcast by asking you a little bit about your momming story, whatever you're comfortable sharing, and what your mothering philosophy is. Oh, alhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khair. And again, thank you so much for the invitation. Very gracious uh, introduction as well. It's an honor to be here with all of you. Um, and especially uh, for, for the month of Ramadan, we all need reminders, alhamdulillah. So I, uh, I have two boys, um, and they are 10, 13 and 10. So I feel like I'm at a, um, what I call like the crossing, right, where I, it's, it's sort of similar to being at a train station and just watching, you know, these different trains moving. And so I feel like childhood is on its way out, well, at least for my older one, um, almost my second one. And now we're all kind of, you know, being forced onto the next train, which is adolescence. So 
I feel like that really, uh, you know, that imagery kind of, you know, um, informs the way that I look at uh, childhood or parenting and, and all of it, which is we're always in this perpetual state of motion. You know, it's I think parenting is so much about finding a balance and moving and those moments of stillness where you can really just appreciate are so few and far between because there's always some level of anxiety, some level of, you know, worry that we carry with us in every phase of our parenting. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's an amana. It's a trust from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, uh, to raise children and to, um, you know, infuse in them uh, the teachings of our beautiful faith to uh, give them, you know, what we refer to as tarbiyah, right? Uh, again, just helping them to navigate this complex world. So it's such a big trust from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, I was recently speaking to some friends about just the, 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 the way that a lot of us approach parenting, unfortunately, is so affected by modern the modern world which uh, usually emphasizes the the baby stage right because before you even have children similar like before you get married right mm-hmm. uh you're, you're focusing on the wedding wedding and not, not the marriage, the marriage <laughs> which is interesting because just last night subhanallah on twitter i saw someone really in a very short succinct uh, tweet say say the same thing which is a lot of people are ready for them for the wedding but not for the marriage and i said exactly so same thing with i think parenting a lot of us are re- ready to hold a baby and to like coo and you know gush over an infant but we're not ready for parenting because we don't uh, prepare in advance so I feel like we we've lost the that notion that this is a huge huge responsibility and trust from Allah and we need to you know go back to that because if we start from that point I think we'd all parent very differently. Oh, you know? Yes. I totally agree. I'm, first of all, I'm loving that train metaphor and I'm getting a little bit like, you know, some anxiety just hearing yeah. it because I'm like, you know, what I'm picturing is we're at the platform and there's only so many cars I can get on you with, but eventually I have to get off yes. and you take the next car without me. So it's just, oh, it's very ah, painful. I know. It's so I, painful. <laughs> My children are 13, 12, 11, and 7 right now. So, so you're in the same boat, I'm in the right? same, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm on that platform with you. <laughs> yeah, it's very painful. I, 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 you know, I look at pa- uh, pictures of, of just a year or two ago, and they all, they both look They're so babies. They look like babies. <laughs> And, you know, I don't know about your your children, but mine, I have, my oldest one is what we call an early bloomer. So mm-hmm. he he's shot He's taller up. than you. Mm-hmm. He's, he's almost six feet, mashallah, yeah, just mashallah. in COVID. And nobody believes that he's 13, mashallah, <laughs> because he's so, but I'm like, it's just happened in the past couple of years. So I really have had, yeah, some, some pain recently. Some adjustment to do, yeah. I've been really proud to see my son have his growth spurt. And like, mashallah. he's been super happy to outgrow oh, yeah, me they now. Love it. But it's like, literally a year ago, he was shorter than me. Yeah. And now he's like, about, and I'm, how did this happen? You're still tiny. You, I still need to make you a plate of food to make sure you exactly. eat. Exactly. <laughs> and they come in for hugs and it's yeah. very awkward now, right? Yeah. Well, it's not bigger. awkward. It's just like, how am I on your chest now? This used yeah. to be opposite. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's different. Like, you know, the, yeah. the, the formula is different because before they would come in and nestle into you. And now uh, it's like, oh, okay, we got to reverse Get around the hug, you know, pat on the <laughs> shoulder. Hi, mom. You know? Exactly. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. I, 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 I love that you mentioned we're all ready to smell that baby forehead and mm-hmm. even change the diapers and stay up at night with them. But that's yeah. not parenting, really. That's just keeping another human being alive. That's being a per- that's being a personal caregiver. But like being a parent, if I had known what, I mean, 
it's beautiful but it's a beautiful mess and if I had known this before I had children and all my life I wanted to be a mother like I wanted 10 there was a time when I wanted 10 I had names picked out and everything first and I I wanted 12 by the way just so you know and I don't say that like you know jokingly I legit said I would want 12 like for the days of Christmas what for just a dozen I don't know I think the dozen oh a dozen yes yes there was that movie when we were growing up cheaper by the dozen right there you go yeah and for 10 10 it was just like oh that way I can count them all on two hands but subhanallah after I had one I was like this takes a lot of work and effort and I just didn't figure out how to stop the rest from coming so yeah alhamdulillah they were written but it is it is really really hard and not just Mm -hmm. the responsibility it's the you know extreme anxiety for those of us who are already prone to anxiety you know standing on the platform and knowing when's the last car it's coming you know, exactly. I can hear it, I can see it coming, and I don't want it to. You know, right. like just this weekend, Zabo was talking to somebody who has a 30-year-old son mm-hmm. who just got married, and she's not wanting, I mean, she's wanting to get on the co- next car with him. <laughs> and he's like, I gotta <laughs> go. not let go. Let him yeah, go on his own. not let it go. And <laughs> she's like, what do I do? And Zabo's like, you have to stop. Yeah. <laughs> it was really hard um, because she did not want to hear it. And so that it, there is that generation of parents, too, that thinks that they're going to parent until the end. Right. We're just not. We we're just observers at some point. And that is actually, you know, part of our Islamic tradition, too. So it's something that I'm trying to prepare myself for now. Thank God I have Zeba to help Absolutely. me with that. Alhamdulillah. I agree. I think we, the earlier we start that process of just becoming aware that we do have to let them go and find uh-huh. their way and get their own wings you know uh-huh. I think it's a it'll be better for our mental and spiritual well-being because yeah. I see on my you know with the work that I do like you said a lot of uh, parents struggling with that um, need for there's codependencies that can happen in families and there's a lot of oh, things yeah. but just you know spiritually the less we have need of anyone other than Allah the better we'll fare in this yes season. yes there's that, and I think I remember I was making du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when I was leaving for Hajj back in 2013. Mm. So my kids were five, four, and three. Mm. And I was like, we have to run before we get pregnant again. Oh my gosh, like, no. let's go. Um, and I was making du'a, I think the night before I was leaving, that's when I felt panic. I had complete sakina that I was leaving these young kids before I was going because I had lined everything up. I was like, alhamdulillah, everything's done. I was fine. My husband was freaking out. Everybody around me was freaking out. Like, what's going to happen to your children? I was like, oh, no, I'll take care of them. And then that night, I was like, oh, my God, I'm leaving my kids. And I was like, yeah, Allah, I'm leaving my amana with you. Please protect it. And immediately, I was like, bit my tongue. You gave them to me as an amana. They are yours. I'm just the babysitter. So then I was like, okay, I'm fine now. And after that, like, I didn't even, I, t- I talked to them like three times while I was gone because I, I was, I had such sukun that he's taking care of what's his. I got to take care of my heart to make sure that he will also mm. take care of me. Right. So, that. and that not everybody gets that. And I felt mm. so blessed to be able to have that. And I mean, have uh-huh. I forgotten it since probably a dozen times and I have to keep reminding myself, they are not mine. They are not mine. Exactly. They're just, you know, part of my journey and I'm part of theirs. So. I mean, this is actually such an important point. I, I mention this when I do parenting sessions all the time. It's one of my first points is that, you know, um, coming into this, again, real understanding that as much as they look like us, talk like us, have some of our personality traits, yeah. they're not extensions of us. They are their own individuals. They have their own individual path to Allah. 
And, you know, like you said, they belong to him. This is just a trust that, that we've been given. So yeah. we have to, you know, handle with care, as they exactly. say. Exactly. <laughs> Return them better than you got them, you know, yes. like, like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, as long as I've known you, you've been in the mental health, the spiritual space. How did mm-hmm. you get there? What sparked your inspiration? And, you know, how is it going? SubhanAllah. You know, I um, I feel like my journey has been so all over the place, uh, to me anyway, but uh, you know, now I'm looking in hindsight, I can see that I was put in certain positions all along. Obviously, Allah's, you know, kind of, you know, leading me down the path that I'm supposed to be on. But if I, while it was happening, I had no idea what was happening because, you know, um, I've, I'm pretty open about my own personal uh, life, but I, I got married young and I went through a pretty tumultuous marriage, but my coping mechanism was helping other people uh, with their problems. So that meant their marital problems, their um, spiritual issues, their parenting issues. It was just, you know, I'm an empath, so it kind of came naturally to me. I've always been that friend that people could, you know, rely on and to tell their you know, secrets too. So I sometimes joke and say, I'm a vault. I know. Too much. <laughs> I know where all the bodies are. <laughs> exactly. I know too. So, you know, I, I kind of uh, had that natural, you know, role in, in a lot of, in, in my community. And then subhanAllah, it just kind of grew because simultaneously, I was also taking a leadership role in some of the organizations that I was volunteering for. So I kind of became like this recognizable figure in the community, from the women anyway, for the sisters anyway, as someone that they could come to and just ask. So I, I, I say, you know, I, I was always having those staircase conversations. You know, when you go to someone's house for like a, a party or halqa, I would be in the corner having a staircase con- or in the hallway, like the <laughs> private, you know, sessions, you know, uh, impromptu sessions uh, in the parking lot. That was me. And it started, you know, started growing from there where people would just come to me and ask, could you please help us? We're having problems. So, you know, this was way before we had places like Khalil Center or now we have Maristan, which is something that Dr. Rani Awad started up here and it's growing. But these organizations that were offering actual services, there weren't those types of organiz- uh, you know, services being offered. So people would just go to the imam or find female teachers or, or what have you. So I kind of filled that, that role. And then... In 2009, uh, my cousin, who's a clinical psychologist, she was working with Muslim clients, but she wasn't known in the community. So she was, you know, she was kind of feeling like that she could do more, but she needed someone who um, who had inroads into the community. So she turned to me and said, why don't we do something together? So we started uh, Mental Health for Muslims, which was a website. And we started writing articles. Um, I would bring in the Islamic perspective. She would bring in the clinical. And we just started addressing a lot of the issues that we were seeing. And then, alhamdulillah, from there, you know, speaking engagements and more and more work with other practitioners here in the Bay Area and abroad. And alhamdulillah, now it's, I, I've actually formally, uh, I, I, I offer spiritual counseling on you know, a very select basis. But I do um, offer those services for people who need that. And I you know, make sure that, they, they, you know, that we can distinguish whether or not their needs are mental health or spiritual health. But if, if I find that it's something I can help with, I do. And other than that, I, I kind of am that go-between where people may come to me seeking advice and then I can help them you know, find, find the proper service that they need. 
That's a, a beautiful journey. And I remember um, hearing about, is it MH4M? Yes. Yeah. Yes, so your ther- your cousin is my therapist. So. Oh, I that. <laughs> and I, I didn't work that angle because I was like, it's probably inappropriate for me to like, no, no. ask her, can you like, let me talk to your cousin? Because <laughs> oh, I want to talk to Stada. Yeah, subhanAllah. Oh. It's a very small world. Um, and she's, she... I mean, obviously changed my life and has kept me like on the path. I just need to check in and be like, no, I haven't fallen off the wagon that you put me Isn't on. Isn't she wonderful? I always she's amazing. Like, she's such a yeah. gift. And I have yeah. people constantly who I've referred to her mm-hmm. telling me like, she's, she's literally transformed my life. I'm like, I know. Yeah. She's my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's my cousin. She's amazing. She really, she really has um, been, I think, a gift to our community because as far as I know, on my side of town, she's the only Muslima who is a psychologist who comes from a very non-judgmental perspective and has an arsenal of tools um, to help us get over all of our hangups for me, that. my anxiety, my OCD. So it's like, really, it. and it's, it's helped my par- my parenting. I've even taken my kids to her because I'm like, help Yay. me fix this. And she was like, it's Aww. not them, it's you. <laughs> she's and, one of my favorite people. Yeah. Uh, really, for so many reasons, not just because she's my cousin. She's been a source of immense benefit for our uh-huh. family. She always was ahead of everyone when it came to even eating right and looking at you oh, know all yeah. these connections, the mind-body uh, connection. So yes. I just find her to be a treasure trove of wisdom. Yeah. Mashallah, male. Yeah. But I'm really happy to hear that uh, yeah. you're seeing her. I bet you have coconut oil in your cabinet too. Oh, okay. I I do. We have these, disc- we are always, it's always our, I'm like, I trace it back. Subhanallah, everything good that's coming in my body is because she made me do it. She was like, remember I told you, you're going to feel better. I was like, yes. Um, Alhamdulillah. So I digress, but um, at, because you've been in the spiritual counseling space now for a while, um, have you noticed a pattern on like what are the most common setbacks to people spiritually in mm-hmm. either establishing that connection, finding that sukun, you know, that we really want to find in parenting and right. life, you know, have you sure. seen a pattern there? Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of different, you know, variables here, but I think one of the most um, obvious ones is we're not prioritizing um, and it's easy to, or, or it's you know understandable given that we're in a time, the zeitgeist, right? This modern world is so highly distractible that we do get pulled into so many different things. And so the lack of prioritization, um, and what I mean by that is really like if we sit and we sit with ourselves and we're asking the right questions, like, why am I here? What am I doing here? Who put me here? Right? The conclusions all are the same, which is right. Allah. Right. And if we had that real clear understanding that Allah is our ultimate objective, then everything else from there gradually falls into place. But I think what's happening is because, you know, we, we get, we're in, you know, this, this, um, the, the, I mean, in the West anyway, for those who are listening, who are, you know, in America, there's always been this idea of the American dream, right? So I think a lot of us, even who've immigrated here, kind of got caught up in that, which is we want the, you know, amazing house and the car and all of the, the lifestyle, you know, things that come with that. And so, which is a very nafsi worldly, you know, impulse that every human being has, right? And so we've got, we get distracted with that. And so you see a lot of parents, for example, um, investing early into their children's, um, you know, education, like secular education. So they will even, I met someone recently, I mean, I'm not joking, they, they said this, and I don't know if she was joking, because I, I didn't get a chance to follow, but she seemed very serious that her young toddler was taking coding 
Um, and you know, he's probably still in diapers and I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And you know, I, I get it. People want to, you know, they have, they're interested in these things and I understand, but to me, I see this so much in, in the community yeah. that I'm in where there's so much em- emphasis on academic performance and excelling in these areas or even sports. You see parents driving all over the, the, the state or the country for sport meets, you know, and, but are we investing in proper Islamic education for our children? Are we giving them good examples? Are we surrounding them? And not in Sunday school, you know, in all fairness to all of our masajid and our Sunday school teachers, is not an adequate, you know, uh, you know, replacement for the tarbiyah and the holistic Islamic education that parents are responsible to give. It's one of the rights of children mm-hmm. that they have sound Islamic education. So I feel like the lack of prioritization from in our community because we're so caught up in all the other pursuits has really kind of thrown us all off and what unfortunately happens is you find parents you know who as I said are so driven by the other things that they find that when their teens or their children hit that adolescent age and they start to really think for themselves that they have crises of faith and now they go into a panic and it's like oh my god my child doesn't want to pray anymore or they're doubting Islam or they they're now you know getting swept away into these a lot of these um political conversations around gender and sexuality and fluidity and they're so confused or there's drugs involved so they're, they're just like crisis mode at that age and then you you, you know you wonder well did you know where, where was the islamic education did you lay the foundation for them to know who they are because our children if they don't have strong identities then they're going to get you know uh, washed away in this culture that's pulling them this way and that way and this way and that way so i think again the question the setbacks are or, or the, the main thing that I'm seeing is just this lack of prioritization and this trying to individualize Islam, you know, like accommodate Islam into our lives instead of the opposite, you know? Like we're just going to plug in Islam where it works or where we have time or where it's convenient, but it's not really the main drive that, that is behind our every decision. It's not a deen anymore. It's, a, it's just a religion. And I think Box that's really... Check. Yeah, really dangerous. Yeah. I I so appreciate that on so many levels, including as a former Sunday school teacher, <laughs> where yeah. I was like bashing my parents. I was like, you're not taking the homework seriously. You're not taking their memorization seriously. Yeah. You're not bringing their attendance seriously. And sometimes this is the only Islamic education your kids are getting because they tell yeah, us like, absolutely. our parents don't do any of this. Our parents didn't teach us any of this. You know, we're hearing this as the Sunday school teachers. But right. in the meantime, they're spending like three hours at Kumon or whatever mass, exactly. you know, place that they do and they have four hours of homework every day and I'm like I don't understand why you can get that homework done but you can't get my 30 minutes of some Islamic work done and multiple times I told the parents listen I was born and raised in this country and I'm a Sunday school dropout because my Sunday school was mean (laughs) and I prioritized volleyball growing up so you know I perpetually failed and I had to wait until college to learn and alhamdulillah it wasn't like a spiritual crisis that I had it was just I was really dumb and I didn't know anything and everybody else in college I felt like knew so much more about Islam than I did after after the five pillars I was really that's it that's all we know shahada and five pillars and I really didn't want that for my kids Um, but I see what you're saying like it's at this point in the train station where the kids are like 
I'm going to the front of the car so that I can go play Fortnite. Y'all can go read Quran in the back. So it, it's happening already. And if we don't put that in the forefront, and my kids are asking me right now, like, okay, so how long are we going to have to do this Quran reading thing? And I'm like, the rest of your life, <laughs> exactly. all of your life, because every time you go back to it, you learn something new, even if it's something you've read before a thousand times there's something new in those verses that you will need and you know the same thing with the psalm like i'm constantly learning from people like yourself and other ostadas like we never stop learning you know for us as muslims we are people of i guess seeking knowledge we're lifelong students and as parents i think tell me if i'm wrong it's because we were raised by parents who either felt that they had to be right or really believed that they were right about everything or knew everything. They're like, we know you don't know. You'll know when you have kids, you know, or you do this because we said so, because they were the all knowing instead of Allah being the all knowing growing up. So I don't know, maybe is that some of the the trauma that we're carrying forward (laughs) or trying not to? I think that's a really valid point because, you know, there's different parenting philosophies. And I think some of our cultural views of parenting, uh, equate, you know, authority, right. With that sort of, you know, creating that sort of allure of, like you said, I'm all knowing and I, the, everything stops here with me. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting you say that because even in my, some of my previous, when I used to write long form posts on Facebook, I tried to, uh, address this issue and just say, our role as parents is to actually, at some point, um, you know, we have that initial when they're younger, you know, they do have to see us as yeah. being the authority, right? But then there should be a slow phasing out, like you're fading out of the picture so that they see Allah, they know Allah, they know who he is. And they realize that my parents aren't always with me, but Allah is right. Mm-hmm. And so his uh, standard and his pleasure is what they seek. And I think for some parents, it's hard for them to let go, like we said earlier, but even remove themselves from that place because, you know, spiritual abuse comes in all forms. But I've worked with a lot of people who've been victims of spiritual abuse because of their parents, because their parents have refused to, um, and to, you know, kind of let go of some of that power that they have over their children. And they use Islam now to get things out of them. And we need to do better. We need to really, you know, go back to the proper understanding of parenting. They don't belong to you. They belong to Allah. Uh, your role is, as we said, you know, to uh, to give them the, all of the foundations that they need to really build themselves up, but not to uh, center yourself as being the ultimate objective, your pleasure, right? Seeking your pleasure. Um, it's not about you anymore. It's about Allah, right? It's always been about Allah. This episode is sponsored by Guidance Residential. Guidance Residential has helped over 30,000 families achieve home ownership without compromising their faith. Will you be next? Let them help you. Find Guidance Residential both on Facebook and Instagram at Guidance Residential and get your questions answered. Don't let halal home ownership just be a dream to you. Since we're in Ramadan, uh, we wanted to talk you know, both to the perspective of the moms and the kids or to the benefit of both the moms and the kids, Mm -hmm. which I mean, ultimately that's what we do here on the podcast, but, um, ebbs and flows in worship, you know, Mm -hmm. we notice that as human beings and sometimes we attribute it to as adults. Okay. Ramadan, we're going to be like really good Muslims. We're all Ramadan Muslims. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, that's, that's the the time we look forward to because we are at our top form. (laughs) Otherwise, Um, But even in that, like, 
the, this journey on this platform of motherhood, right? Like sometimes we are sitting in the back of the car and we have time to do that Quran and do those extra acts of worship or even like really do the essential acts of worship with khushu, um, you know, full concentration. But then there's other times where mm, sitting somewhere in the middle of the car or even like playing just Fortnite up front with my kids because it's just a bad time for me. Um, right. as, as adults, I think we experience it, but we don't know necessarily how to put it into words and understand mm-hmm. why that happens. And then as children, they also notice like, oh, we're like so Muslim during Ramadan and it's like so right. busy and the masjid is like rocking in Ramadan. But then after it's silent, you know, if we just mm-hmm. happen to decide we're going to go for the heart to the masjid today just because it's a Wednesday, let's go. Right. Um, and it's dead empty and it's maybe Mm. even locked so why is this happening when in ramadan you know everybody's here i've explained it to the kids like you know yeah there's ramadan muslims and they only prioritize the masjid at that time which they shouldn't do we should be going all the time and then my kids are like okay well let's do all five at the masjid so that the masjid isn't lonely (laughs) and that's an issue for me too right time-wise so i i can't find a way to explain it to the kids and Mm -hmm. i don't think i have the language to even explain it to myself or my peers can you help us Mm -hmm. out with that like with this ebbs these ebbs and flows of worship what's happening and why such a great question. Thank you, Barakallah Fiki. Um, and it's an honest question, and I think that's why the, the best answer to to helping ourselves and our kids understand that is honesty, right? Just being very uh, willing to um, humanize ourselves, humanize our experiences, because the ideals, the pursuit of the ideal is why a lot of us um, have a hard time, because we're always, you know, in those frames of, like, trying to do everything perfectly. Um, but at the end of the day, I think when we start to humanize ourselves, and that's where, you know, if you follow me, you know that I speak a lot about emotional intelligence. Yes. Um, and I love that framework because when you teach it to children, it actually clicks. It makes a lot of sense. And there's a beautiful order, you know, as you learn the five qualities of emotional intelligence, they each lead into the other. So you start with that self-awareness, which is, you know, the different aspects of of human of the human being that pull us into different directions. So we have like the soul, the ruh that's always yearning for Allah, and that's why we have the highs, right? And then we have the nafs that brings us down to the material world and pulls us into all of our base desires and kind of just distracts us, right? And so when you help children know that this is just human nature, right? And that we have kind of I like the an analogy of like a stereo system, you know. I know stereo is probably so outdated of a I reference know. for. Yeah, that's just a button world. on my like, you know, yeah. video software, right? Yeah. But but like a boombox, right? Just go back to the eighties or nineties. Yes. You know what a boombox is? Show an arcade video, <laughs> picture to your kids. Our generation like, knows. You know, but but like you know, there's knobs, right? And each knob uh, is a you know, it's kind of um, I mean, there's a. a, a function to it but I kind of look at those knobs as like volumes right so we have um the 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 impulse of of um, well we have sorry I'm I'm gonna now quickly go into another because I have to I'm a teacher so I have to I explain what I mean I, I'm loving all of your analogies because I'm like oh I want to develop a cartoon that looks like this so that we can explain it like that <laughs> oh, I love it so that we have four impulses right the human being is affected by four different kind of sounds or or inspirations I should say they're called khater or khawater so you have like the uh, rabbi Rabbani, Khater Rabbani, Khater Malakani, 
And what this is, is like, these are the things that inspire us. So there are times where you're going to have inspiration directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like istikhara, right? Why do we pray istikhara? Because you're asking Allah to literally guide you towards the decision that's best for you in dunya and akhirah. So Allah will guide you. Then you have your protective angels that may inspire you by, you know, kind of uh, nudging you towards a good deed or a good action. And so they, they can affect us. And then we have our internal, you know, voice, which is the, the nafs. And that, of course, is never going to, uh, you know, the nafs is our greatest enemy. So it'll always work against us. And that's the one that pulls us away. And then you have shaitan, of course, the external enemy. So these four are at play all the time, every day. And, um, and when you become aware of this about your own nature as a human being, then you can see that, okay, so we're all affected by this. Then how are we empowered? Like, how can I make sure that I'm not giving in to my nafs and shaitan, but rather, you know, trying to, uh, you know, do more good deeds and follow and do what pleases Allah. Um, learning to pay attention to your thoughts and your impulses and, and also learning what your weaknesses are. So now we move into the second quality of emotional intelligence, which is self-regulation. So you, you learn taskia, you learn about diseases of the heart, you learn what are common and spiritual diseases and how to see the signs and symptoms and then avoid them. So it, it kind of works, you know, that you're gradually moving from awareness to now implementi implementation of, you know, practices that are going to help you control it. And then the third quality is motivation. So what's your motivating factor? It's the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at this dunya, wanting success, wanting to leave this world, inshallah, in the best state and also for the, the next world, right? So you have your target, your goal in front of you always and everything you do is informed by those goals, right? So your motivation is that and your intentions. And then you move into empathy. And empathy is so critical for us to develop in our young children because when they see, for example, community members, you know, come like being those Ramadan Muslims, instead of allowing judgment to pass over them, right, they'll realize like, you know, there's something that maybe they've, you know, that, that Allah's because, you know, it's a sacred time, it's a special time, that Allah's drawing them closer in the month of Ramadan. And they, they're being given a medicine and that they, you know, you know, and hopefully they'll realize that they've been sick all this time without it and it'll sustain them. But it's to, you know, it'll hopefully give them more empathy. And then within the family, um, when they look at mom, you know, tired and maybe not really, you know, kind of having one of those ebb moments where she's retreating a little bit or dad and, and taking a bit of a pause. Um, that it's not to judge them, but to say, you know what, there's, maybe they're overwhelmed, maybe they have a lot on their plate, and I can go and ask them, like, is there anything I can help you with, because I've noticed lately you've been a little bit more tired, or just, you know, kind of checking out, maybe not reading as much Quran, or you're doing your prayers a little faster than before, is there anything I can, I can help you with, mom or dad, you know, and you humanize one another, and, and then you see these, you know, the, 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 the synchronicity, or the, that, that beautiful relationship that everybody in the household should have of, supporting one another right because we are a deen of jama'ah we need to um to uplift one another and it, we're not we shouldn't all be kind of doing this on our own which I, I think is one of the the problems of how a lot of secular people view religion is like it's just my own individual path yes and no to a certain degree because it's also something that we're supposed to be as muslims doing together too we pray together we fast together we do hajj together and in our households we should find like I said, that empathy to be able to support one another when we are seeing ebbs and flows and realize it's just part of human nature. Um, and then the, the last quality I'll just mention is social skills, right? 
which is also, I mean, amazing uh, skill set to have, and it's it's a very broad topic. But the point is, when you learn your dean in this organized way and really try to have some structure, then uh, I think you'll start to appreciate that being human. Uh, I mean, having ebbs and flows is, is part of being human because this dunya is designed that way. It's designed to give us, you know, to test us. So we will be tested. And those are the times where we're going to fall weak. And there are times where Allah is calling us and he's pulling us towards him. And we have those awakenings. Um, and as long as we're kind of like going up that ladder or that staircase, you know, in terms of like a visual, you know, having just these ups, highs and lows, highs and lows or ebbs and flows, as long as we don't remain stagnant. And that's where your point about seeing yourself as a ongoing project, you're like working, work, you know, under construction, you're, it's, it's, you know, you're a student for life. When you see yourself like that and you teach your children to also see themselves like that, then I think you'll have a much healthier understanding of what faith is and the, and the purpose of our faith is, you know, to help cultivate the best in us, but we're, we're human. So, yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, I feel like there's certain phases in motherhood where it's just easier, you know, right. like now I can sit down and I can read a whole jizz. I wasn't able right. to do that when my kids were really little, you know, it exactly. just, it, it, it's too hard because either you got a pump or you got a feed or you got to change a diaper or something. And even like with Salah, I don't think I had Hushu for like the first, I don't know, six <laughs> years of mothering, probably even longer. Cause my little guy thought that I was a human slide when right. I went into Sajda, so it's like he would be like, oh, and he would literally slide down my back, and I would get so irritated sometimes with him. I'm like, I'm trying to concentrate, damn it. <laughs> and it's like, well, now my salon doesn't count. Exactly. That's a perfect example of yeah. humanizing ourselves because Allah, actually, we get so much reward in those moments. We don't realize, like, the sacrifice we're making to stay home with our kids and yeah. to allow for these things to happen as opposed to just being like, I'm, I'm doing my own thing, you know, yeah. um, is immense and the rewards are immense. Uh, but we, we need to get, I think, out of the mindset of it. If it has, if it's not perfect, it's not, there's no value. Right. We, we don't determine that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. I really felt like those were times of jihad and I was like, I was so good before I had kids. These kids are a fitna for me. But, you yeah. know, then I would remember. I was like, well, yeah, Allah said that, you know, he said they will yeah. be a fitna for you. So you have to keep moving on and wait for that period when you can do the juz. You can do like your, exactly. you can go back to Salat al-Duha and like all of your fasts that you used to do before. It just takes time. And in Ramadan, I know it's hard because as moms, especially the moms who feel like compelled to do those, I guess, extra social acts like right. the iftars and the food and the, you know, and then all of us, I, I don't know, most of my peers, we all feel the, the pressure of like, got to make Eid amazing. We got to make Ramadan amazing. And so we like spend a thousand dollars on all the decorations and stuff. And it's like, we put this unnecessary pressure and then forget until the actual day of Eid. Whoa, I didn't review the takbirat with the kids and they don't know how to do that anymore. Or they don't know why it's so important for us to go to Eid Salah as a family, as, you know, as a community. Um, So again, it it, it is really hard. It is, um, I think, harder for that set that's really into those worldly things and that social order Um, but trying to remember that hey these kids ultimately like why is more important than the what I think you know like explaining through like this is why we do this this is why we say that Um, and I think in the in the hullabaloo especially in the oh my god I gotta buy the Ramadan wrapping paper before it all runs out Um, you forget to (laughs) review it with the kids so that can absolutely happen 
And that's, you know, the same point we were making earlier about the prioritization. Like, yeah. what is the priority at the end of the day? Is it that you outwardly, you know, you ha- you look like you're re- Ramadan ready and mm-hmm. everything's, you know, aesthetically pleasing and beautiful? Or is it that internally you're prepared and you really are aligning your intentions with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what's, you know, what's going to maximize the reward potential of the month, right? Yeah. So I think we just need to have more honest conversations, like just let go of those other things because they don't matter. It's all dunya. Yeah. And it's actually, it's, it's you know, um, it's shaitan's way of, again, making us focus on all the wrong things so that we lose the uh, immense reward opportunities of the month. So we have to just remind people. And we're all in the same boat because we all went through these phases, you know. I mean, I think I, I like well, I'm you still said. I'm going through them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, some of them we're still going through, right? Uh, but, you know, I just, uh, it's something you said earlier kind of uh, sparked a, a memory or um, uh, a point I wanted to address. You know, in, in, when the Prophet was re- receiving revelation, there were periods of time where the revelation stopped, right? Right. And in that time, it um, brought a lot of anxiety uh, over him because he was worried, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of our scholars say sometimes there are, you know, these little, if you want to call them peaks and valleys, ebbs and flows, highs and lows in our worship. Because even in the, um, when things are kind of low, there is a sort of, you know, hopefully in the absence of what you used to have, there'll be, you know, that something will spark because, you know, we sometimes don't appreciate something until it's withheld from us. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe when you uh, look back on, you know, a period in your life, um, when you, uh, when you were spiritually practicing, right. That feeling of like, Oh, I really want to go back to that Mm -hmm. becomes such a, it's a, it becomes a goal for you that you start working towards that, but it may have to be withheld first. Right. Because we, we got, we get too distracted. So it's just something to think about that if you're finding yourself longing for that time in your life, um, that where you felt more spiritually driven, then, you know, seek that and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, continue to make dua and then find those pockets of time where even, you know, because if you have young children during the day, it may be difficult, but the night is meant for worship. And that's where, you know, I had to, I remember just on a practical level, I made a switch at at a certain point where like every mom, I was using nap time to get my stuff done. And then I realized that it was actually making like with my sleep, it was not helping me because I would then stay up really late because I loved my alone time. And so I was always tired. And then I was like, you know what? I just need to sacrifice something here. So I said, I'm going to nap with my kids, right? I'll nap at that time too, so that I'm rejuvenated and feeling refreshed. And then I can do more at night instead of just trying to, you know, squeeze in a bunch of things or like watch certain programs that I was ready to watch. You know, you get, you want to have an escape, right? Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't waste my time doing that because I was rested and then I could do more important things. So you you just have to find the formula that works for you, but make the pursuit of what you're longing for. If you're in that phase of your motherhood to, to just be, to recapture the, that, those, those spiritual connections again and ask Allah to strengthen your connection with him. He'll, he'll respond. Yeah, always. I mean, so have you found any particular acts of worship or dhikr for these moms who are str- mm-hmm. maybe struggling or even the ones that aren't? I, I honestly haven't met them yet in my career <laughs> as a mother. But, you <laughs> know, are there like the, you either? There are there any three particular acts of worship that would be easy for a mom to do at any point in these ebbs and flows, or even during uh, Ramadan that you would recommend, or even zikr, three times a day. Sure, 
you know, it's a, it's a great question. And I know like a lot of the struggles that, you know, parents have is just the juggling act, right? There's constant need for help and support. We don't have the village. We don't have a lot of people on hand or on deck, you know, to be able to help out. So this uh, feeling of feeling overwhelmed, uh, I mean, you know, just being overwhelmed is, is very strong. But I'm reminded of the story of, uh, you know, Sayyidah Fatima and Ali radiallahu and when they were, you know, really in, in the thick of it and, and, and suffering and just going through an immense struggles of their own and they asked the Prophet if they could get have a servant and then he told them that what was better for them is to do the tasbih right um, after their prayers and that if they I don't remember the exact hadith but that he gave them that uh, practice to help maintain their equilibrium and just kind of calm things down and I think we sometimes underscore under maybe value the just doing dhikr really slowing down a little bit calling on Allah by his most beautiful names and beseeching him with whatever is over overwhelming us. So if it's your work, if it's your you know, home life balance, if it's finances, if it's taking care of in-laws or parents, if it's whatever, friendships, just we need to have a regular practice. And I think sitting after every prayer, inshallah we're all doing our prayers for, first and foremost, but as an additional practice, just saying if I'll, you know, I need to, you know, do my thespi. I need to force myself to sit and make dua after prayer. And it takes less than two to three minutes. Because I know, I remember, right, as soon as you do your salam, you're up and off. And we forget that that's the time for real, like, um, connection and just meaningfulness. So whatever you can do. And if it's hard for you because you have little ones, you have to get up. Then guess what? One free hand. Just keep doing it. <laughs> keep, you know, just do it. Do your thespi. You know, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, inshallah. And then another really important point that I think we have to have just some hard rules for ourselves. Like, I'm not going to compromise on this. And I talk about this a lot on in my clubhouse talks. But Quran and our relationship with the Quran is so vital. It is a life, like it's a life force. It, we can't look at reading the Quran as an option of the day. Right. Because if you look at it as an optional thing to do, you won't do it. It's, your nafs will, will find every other reason for you not to do it, right? But if you look at it like, I have to do it, right? Because... Like, uh, for example, and, and the reason why I mention this is because a lot of people will listen to the Nasheed. They'll kind of do these optimal things and think like that suffices in terms of dhikr of Allah. But what they don't realize is a lot of our scholars, when they give, when they gave like formulas of du'as to say, or like awrad, like fortress of the believer, or Imam al-Haddad's, you know, uh, dhikr, like a lot of these awrad or litanies of prayers are done in addition to the litany of Qur'an. So you have to already have a, a practice of reading the Qur'an before you just jump into all these other extra, you know, nawafil or sunnah right. kind of things. So I think um, making, and my, my advice to make this easy for moms, download an app. Uh, one of my favorites is called the Golden Qur'an. It has an interface where the pages look exactly like a mushaf. So what you could do is actually, and pair it, pair it with your actual mushaf, your actual Qur'an, and start reading, and then it has bookmark options. You can click on it to read the translations. It's really convenient. It's on your phone between, you know, whatever, folding laundry. You could be, you know, reading Quran. You could, you know, have some connection with it when you're waiting for your kids to pick them up from school. Take out your phone and just read, but make it minimum of one page every day, minimum. And the, and the best a real uh, reading of the Quran is after Fajr, right? Because the Quran of Fajr is witnessed. So if you can do it that time, excellent. But at least one day, every day, a page every day, make it a rule. I, I don't violate that rule. I have to read one page of Quran because this is a conversation with Allah, Allah's love letter to me. I don't want to 
prefer anything over Allah's love letter, right? Nothing takes precedent over Allah's love letter. So I need to have that connection. And then the third one would be, again, if you're able to, to really start to, um, get a hold on your sleep, because I know sleep is a big factor for moms, right? Between waking up for nursings, um, and whatever, we're always low on sleep and, and we're fatigued, but um, if it's possible, try to get in the habit of waking up. Start maybe with 10, 15 minutes right before a fudger enters. Don't uh, do the fudger prayer towards the end of it or the middle. Force yourself to do it at the beginning by 10, 15 minutes and wake up and do at least two or four rakah of tahajjud. And whatever is in your heart, if you're having a disconnection in your marriage, um, whatever is happening, if your in-laws are giving you hardship, whatever it is, please take it, as we say, to the prayer mat. Take it to the mat. Don't pick up your girlfriends and just, you know, talk and yeah. speak badly of people or your mom or your sisters or whoever, because we like to vent and we like to purge all of that negativity to people. But it doesn't really help with solutions because we usually do it every day. There's always some new update. But the solutions are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you're pouring your heart out to him and saying, please, I need help. Like, you know, I feel disconnected or I feel this or I feel that. Please, Ya Allah, give me the way. Um, That is a dua that's mustajab because of the time. It's a sacred time. It's the time of tahajjud. um, And we, we need to just start, you know, working smart, not hard when it comes to managing our lives. And that's how you work smart. Yeah, I love that. That is that's been like the mantra in our marriage is work hard or uh, work smart, not hard. Um, mm-hmm. So that the hajj time I have found to be so beneficial. But sadly, I think the most I prayed the hajj is again during Ramadan. Mm-hmm. So to that end, I think the golden question of the hour is how do we continue this Ramadan high for longer? I think you can get to like Shawal. But like once the fasts are over, it's like, mm, okay, mm-hmm. like, you know, all those really great routines that you built up in Ramadan are kind of slowly, you see them breaking down one by one. Yeah. What can we do to perpetuate that consistency that we had in Ramadan afterwards? Mm, great question. And I think a lot of it has to do with the company you keep. Because if you can find real sahaba where you all are just relying on each other and saying, hey, we all are, um, you know, we kind of flatline after Ramadan. We need to, we need to keep things going. Let's all uh, hold one another accountable. Let's all like do something regular. And I'll tell you, for example, I have, alhamdulillah, I'm very blessed with, with this type of sahaba where we were, <clears throat> we started doing this competition during Ramadan of trying to do our khatam of Quran, but it was a competition and I'm competitive. So if you have a competitive edge, Find I'm already loving it. Are, yeah, <laughs> find some girlfriends who are competitive, and you don't understand. It bonded us so. It's like it's been one of the best blessings of my life because I love these girlfriends. But when we did this in Ramadan, we started really like competing, like for legit. And I'll tell you, I, and I won't mention names, uh, who did what, but. <laughs> Um, at one point, we were competing with how many ajza we could read a day, and we got to seven, eight. We we did way more than things we were even capable of. One person broke the record of 13 what? in one day. 13 just. And these are moms. These are people who have, like, they're juggling. But because they're so driven by this uh, friendly, competition. competition between friends, it's all obviously for the sake of Allah. And we started, like, seeing, like, this was so great that we could sustain it. So what we did is after Ramadan was over – 
instead of putting that much pressure on ourselves, it was more now like, you know what? We did it where we did khatams together in Ramadan. Why can't we do this every month? So every month we have a rotational khatam. So we assign each person like five juz to do for the whole month. You can do it whenever you want. And then at the end of the month, the Islamic calendar month, we will do a khatam together. And it's really beautiful. It's totally just brought our hearts together. We look forward to like our Zoom calls where we can finally get together. We have one of the sisters as a hafada, so she's beautiful. She does like the khatam dua. And we just, we catch up. But it's like, okay, next month, here are your assignments. And we've now um, sustained this practice for years because we took ourselves to account and we realized that we don't want to keep feeling like we've, you know, we just had this immense, you know, month and then it, it's all gone and it fizzled because it just doesn't feel good. You know, right. it's like you've uh, accomplished so much and then you're right back to square one. Nobody likes that feeling. So finding ways to sustain on a small level, whatever you really love doing. And for some people, maybe it's not Quran. Some people, maybe it's memorizing hadith. Some people, it's maybe, you know, doing tajid prayers and they kind of have a competition like who did what. And, you know, you got to purify your intention it's not something about you know showing off and things like that so there's some internal work you got to do but i think your company that you keep will be essential to sustaining whatever um you know practice you've achieved in the month because they are going to help hold you accountable and we need to have really good company spiritual company we we all have a lot of friends we have a lot of social uh, you know uh, groups that we can socialize with but spiritual sisterhood is so essential for our well-being so seek out friends who can be hold you spiritually accountable it's really important i think that's one of the most unique and best pieces of advice i've ever gotten when i've asked this question i'm always like how do we keep doing this after (laughs) and none of it stuck but i think like this is really good especially because it's speaking to my competitive edge so you know and we're allowed to compete for you know good deeds i'm gonna do that like i'll just have to recruit some people to do it like sadly i don't know any um any female uh, hafaz locally, mm. or even, no, I do know somebody out of state, but it's hard, you know, with time yeah. zones. I'm in Arizona, so like everybody changes their time zones except for me. So <laughs> I'm like the oddball out. Yeah, subhanAllah. Mm. So I really appreciate everything that you shared with our audience today. I know, like, I feel like I have to go back when we transcribe this episode is to go make an outline too it just it was really really helpful and I really wanted a pen right now to write everything down but it's okay we've got the transcription alhamdulillah so you have given us so much and uh, we like to end the podcast by doing a quick little um, kind of a revelation of you so it's called a rapid fire if you've never heard it uh, what we do is ask you questions and so top of mind whatever comes to you that is always the right answer. And it gives us a little bit of insight into what's driving Ustada Hussein, you know? So we would really love to do that with you. I'm going to set the timer for 90 seconds. Oh and I don't know why we even bother setting the timer because, you know, we always go over. It's <laughs> like, no, that is so, so interesting. Me too. SubhanAllah. All right. So Bismillah. We like to kick it off by asking, um, what book are you reading right now? Oh, mashallah. Um, where is it? Well, there's, sorry, I have a few different ones. Um, oh, you're the one who like reads like six different yeah, books. Yeah, I do. Time. I read oh, many okay. books at the same time. I think I'm doing the, jewel, the Jewels of the Quran, Imam al-Ghazali's. Uh, mm, yes. That's a good so one. I started that. That's perfect. But there's that's another perfect. one too. I can't remember the title, so I won't butcher it. I'm terrible at remembering titles and authors too. So um, another one is if you could win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? 
<laughs> real or fake i love that <laughs> that's funny you can make one um you know i always loved when i was in high school volleyball and soccer i, I like net games so um I'm, I'm way older now, so I don't know if I, I probably wouldn't last more than a few minutes, but probably one of those. Okay. Soccer, I lean towards soccer. I like yeah. that. I had yeah. to become a soccer mom. I hated soccer until I had kids, and that's like their mm -hmm. favorite sport, so that's yeah, fun. Um, what's your hidden talent? So I love languages, uh, alhamdulillah. I took uh, French in high school and college, um, and I speak, you know, I'm partially uh, fluent in certain languages like Urdu and uh, Arabic, but I can do accents. So I actually, <laughs> I used to be a, a prankster when I was in high school and college. I loved prank calling people because they wouldn't know oh it was God. me. <laughs> That's amazing. I really respect people who could do the accents and do them well. My mom is one of those people, subhanAllah. Oh, no way. Yeah, That's yeah. Awesome. She does a, She does great accents too. And it's like, I don't know, we always wonder, it's like, are we allowed to? I don't know. But it is, it is really funny and it, I think it's a talent. Um, here's a, a good one. What's the first career you dreamed of having when you were a kid? Wow. Subhanallah. You know, we talked about uh, how we both stated we wanted children, uh, you know, early. I was very blessed to have some cousins come live with us who had come recently from uh, Iran, actually, at that time, Afghanistan, Iran. But um, I always loved babies. So I actually just thought I'm going to be a teacher or like around kids from a very early age, I had that feeling. And subhanAllah, Allah made it happen. Yeah. I went into teaching. So I think I knew kind of what I wanted to do because, you know, taking care of a baby when you're like a little girl yourself is like the funnest thing ever. Oh, it's so great. Doll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a living doll. So I was like, I love this. I could do this forever. She was mine. I really felt like she was my baby. Like I, I would wake up and just take care of her so I, I think that was always a natural <laughs> yeah yeah no I used to do that and grab all the babies too and my mom would always be like put the babies to, even in public like there was a baby I would beeline for that baby and my mom would put the baby down you'll never get married people will think it's yours <laughs> I was like I just want to be a mom and she's like you have to get married before you can do that <laughs> so, but now here we are and you know I really appreciate all of the notes that I'm going to get to take on this particular episode and I'm super stoked to um, end Ramadan on a very high note, but not to, well, I, I said end, to continue Ramadan on a high note. I want to act as if every day of the year is Ramadan, inshallah, and to that, and you've helped me very much. May Allah reward you, sustain you, increase you, um, and please make the offer us this month um, for our success for our continued success and let me win whatever competition I start with my girlfriends. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love your competitive nature. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's always like, I think I have a magnet somewhere like Allah, if you can't um, make me do this to let my girlfriends not be able to do it either, which is I need that magnet. I I would know, right? love if you're not gonna reward me, it's like eh, don't do. Yeah, no, that's that's for a lot. I'm making I'm making the offer you girlfriends who are tuning in. I'm, I'm yeah. totally lying. <laughs> so JazakAllah Khair. Have a great rest of your Ramadan. And if we don't see you before then, email about it. JazakAllah Khair. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming while Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show, as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice, because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy Wall Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.